Okay. Are we on? I lose track of how many times I turn myself on and off, but I seem to be on, which is good. Okay. So, good morning. How are you? Are you ready? Colossians chapter 2. We're warming up. This book just gets better and better. So I'm going to start by reading not all of the passage, but most of the passage we're looking at today, which is uh, chapter 2 of Colossians from verse 6 to verse 23. And it goes like this. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that came from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Then down to verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Verse 18. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they've had visions about these things. Verse 20, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Verse 23, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Okay, so... So this passage kind of wraps up the, the doctrine, the theory part of the letter, which we find in, in, in chapters 1 and 2. And the next time we'll pick up in chapter 3, which is one of my favorites, where it starts to get really practical. If you, if you read that, in, that, that passage in the New Living Translation, as I tend to, uh, the title is, 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 the, is Freedom from Rules and New Life with Christ. The NIV title is Freedom from Human Regulations Through Life with Christ. My title for this passage would be this, Don't Let Rules or Religion Entice You Out of Freedom and Back into Slavery. Do, do a quick recap for a second. What exactly was going on back there in first century Colossae? Well, of course, the, the gospel that Jesus brought, the gospel that Paul taught, proclaimed freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the curse and the condemnation of sin. Free from the bondage and the baggage of sin. The gospel that Jesus brought and Paul taught proclaimed freedom from legalism and from the heavy demands of religion that the Jewish nation had labored under for generations. It had set them free from, from unrealistic expectations and impossible standards. And you know what? It had set them free from fear and anxiety and, and leading to a freedom of hope and purpose. 
Remember, Jesus said, John 8, 36, he said, for if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Pause for a second. How we all long to live free. I want you to breathe in deeply this morning and thank God that Jesus Christ has set you free. And then I'd like you to ask him to use, to use today's word to make you even freer. Now be honest with me for a second. Is there anyone who could use being just a little bit freer? Would anyone in this room object to being less constrained or more emotionally healthy? If that's a problem to you, you're in the wrong place. Anyone object to being more peaceful and more joyful? I thought not. You see, here's the challenge. Paul's readership back then were, were, were experiencing an increasing threat to their freedom. He expressed it in Galatians 5 verse 1 like this. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, a handful of issues were, were dragging them back into bondage. And it's that that Paul, Paul is dealing with in this section. Verse 8 says, don't let anyone capture you. Sounds like bondage to me. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So the underlying threat, number one, we've talked about before, were these kind of Gnostic philosophies that were starting to emerge. They were increasingly infiltrating and subtly corrupting basic Christian teachings about the gospel and about Christ. In, in the New Living Translation, it talks about two things. First of all, empty philosophies. And you know what? Clever and convincing, though it may sound, as many as there are out there loudly trumpeting it, unless it has Jesus Christ at the centre, ultimately it will prove to be empty. Empty. And then in the NLT, it talks about high-sounding nonsense. Now, I'm putting myself back a, a few years here, but I remember that there was a spiritual guru, and that would include things like this. It would include things like horoscopes and astrology. It would include anything occultic, so spiritualism, mysticism, wicca, psychics, all that kind of thing. I'd be careful not to write physics, because I think that might upset people if I said that was high-sounding nonsense. Psychics, I'm just checking there. Next one on my list will be, will be anything from kind of Eastern religion. So meditation and Zen and karma, frankly, parts of, of yoga that are rooted in Oriental worship and, and what we call syncretism, which is the, the mixing of beliefs together. What we call pluralism, which is where two separate um, beliefs are allowed to coexist. All that kind of thing will be described as hollow and deceptive philosophies by Paul. And then the final category is, is the New Age. Pantheism, polytheism, paganism. 
things like crystals, things like Reiki, and if you dig into that stuff deeply, some pretty bonkers stuff, if we're honest. So Paul's message is, don't let anyone capture you. They come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. I don't want to be subtle, folks. That means it's demonic, some of this stuff. Rather than from Christ. That's threat number one. Threat number two, verse 18. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. We've already mentioned, first, we've already mentioned that there was a local a Colossian cult uh, which got involved and embroiled in, in the worship of angels that Paul kind of mentions from time to time. But also the sec- second group here is, is, is the group who are, who are insisting on pious self-denial. The clue there is in the prefix self. And this, was, this, this self-denial was, 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 a, was a strong Gnostic teaching. You see, the Gnostics taught that that flesh was inherently evil and therefore needed to be subjugated. It needed to be punished. It needed to be crushed. You know, we call it asketism. Uh, and, and it was very popular in, in kind of monasteries in, in the Middle Ages. This idea of a rigorous self-denial, a harsh treatment of body and flesh, whipping or whatever it was, starving yourself the aim of which was to make you more spiritual. Threat number three, verse 20, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Lots in there. The punchline for me in verse 20 is, so why do you keep following the rules of the world? And there's much we could say here, but I'm I'm just going to put it like this. Don't trust the world to be, number one, your guide into freedom. Number two, don't trust the world to be your your source of freedom. Thirdly, don't trust the world and the rules of the world. Don't don't let that be the place that you go looking for your freedom. There's a clue. The clue is that the God of this world is not trying to lead you into greater degrees of freedom. Called sarcasm. Do a quick aside, I haven't got time to look at this. I wonder what, what are the rules? What are the rules that this world is currently trying to get you to follow? And why? It's a big old question. I might leave that for your connect groups, I think. And then finally, threat number four, verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbath. You see, what was happening here is is that that quite understandably, I think, Jewish converts had great difficulty untangling themselves from their orthodox Jewish beliefs. And of course, sadly, those those beliefs had become increasingly less about a miracle-working, covenant-making, loving, saving God 
that it become more about, about the accuracy of your religious observance? Were you celebrating the right feast in the right way? Did you have all your Sabbath regulations lined up, I's dotted, T's crossed? Did you make the right sacrifices? There were two main tugging influences of work here. The first one is, was a group called the Judaizers that Paul writes about, actually, mainly in the book of, of Galatians. And they said that essentially to be a real Christian, you had to become a Jew first. And you had to do that by becoming circumcised. You had to do that by subscribing to Mosaic law, to the Talmud, to the Mishnah, and all that kind of detail. But you had to, essentially you had to convert to being a Jew, and then you could convert into being a Christian. That was, that was deception number one. The second one was, was this idea that, that keeping Jewish law helps a believer to become more spiritual. Jesus had strong words to say about that, as did Paul. There are certainly streams of Christianity who would try and convince you that actually the way to become more spiritual actually is to follow Jewish law. And what this does, once again, is that this was fueling this, this idea of a class of spiritual elites. And, and that, that's always been a very popular idea, particularly amongst those people who believe that they are. Here's the key point, point in that. The, the details of Jewish religious observance, which were important, they were supposed to be a means to an end. And that end was relationship with God. But what the religious teachers had done is they changed, they twisted, they contorted those rules and regulations into becoming an end in themselves. So hear what Paul has to say about that, verse 17. He says, For these rules are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. Christ himself is that reality. In other words, all the rules and all the regulations and all the feasts and all the sacrifices were merely shadows. That, that means they were outlines, they were faint pictures of the real deal. In fact, those shadows were there to make sure that people recognized the real deal when it appeared. And the real deal, as we saw in Colossians chapter 1, is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, the Lord and king. Okay, let's pause to catch up for a second. Jesus came to set us free. The enemy uses any nasty and subtle and clever and even cruel means he can to unpick that freedom. And so in, in their first century context and also in our 21st century world, that there are pervasive threats to our freedom which sets us up nicely, I think, and leads to this question. What does, what does Paul have to say about all of that in Colossians chapter 2? And I would say, in essence, he has two things to say. The first one is, A, letter A, this Christ, this Christ that you are following, this Christ that you are worshipping, this Christ that you have made, Lord, is the champion. And secondly, the life and the freedom and the victory and the purpose that you seek comes from following Christ, not from man-made rules. 
Look at those two quickly. First one, the Christ you are following is the champion. Not only is Jesus all the things that we've already read and already studied in chapter one, wonderful though they were, but as you read through chapter two, we see that Jesus also, number one, he is head over every ruler and authority. Verse 10, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Number two, verse 12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Number two, this Christ, not only is he all those things in Colossians chapter one, not only is he head over every ruler on authority, but he's also your personal source of resurrection, life, and power. Not only that, verse 14, it says he cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. We're learning more more here about Christ the champion. This one is telling us that he has cancelled your record of wrongs. Then verse 15, probably my favourite one, says in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Mounting up a case here for Christ, the champion, that he has disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And then down a bit further, verse 94, he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments. It grows as God nourishes it. So Christ also, he, he sustains you and he nourishes you. And that's talking about you as in you singular and you as in us. Cruel. He, he sustains and nourishes you us. And then finally, verse 20, he is the source of your freedom. Verse 20 says, for you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Let's, let's summarize all of that. That's, that's powerful stuff. That is powerful stuff. And what Paul is saying to the Colossians, what he's saying to you and me is, is that in the face of these threats, and they are threats, you need to know. You need to know, number one, that Christ is the authority. He is the name above all names. There is nothing that compares. There's nothing, nothing that threatens. There's nothing that comes even close to Christ. Number one. Number two, you need to know that Christ has defeated and disarmed and shamed your enemy. Folks, you are on the victory side. Not in doubt. You don't spend one day one side of the line and another day the next and most of your time wobbling between the two. You are on the victory side because he has defeated and disarmed and shamed your enemy. Number three, as a result of all that, in the face of these threats, as a result of who Christ is and what he's done, you are free. You are gloriously, absolutely, totally free to live in the fullness of resurrection life. And as we summarize this, the fourth and final thing is that he is powerfully at work. You you can trust Jesus to hold everything together. You can trust that he will nourish and sustain us. You can trust that he will make all things flourish and bear fruit. And you know, as always, knowing and understanding this is key 
to everything. Do you know what Christ has done? Do you really get who he is? Have you grasped what, what all this means for you and who you now are in Christ? So number one, this Christ that you are following, he really is the champion. And secondly, be the life, freedom, victory, and purpose you seek comes from following Christ, not man-made rules. Again, verse 20, you've died with Christ, and he has, past tense, set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So in this passage, Paul, Paul asks and then answers this question, where does true freedom come from? That seems to me to be a good question. Right, and in essence, I think this is a multiple choice. I grew up in the multiple choice age. I like a multiple choice. So there are, there are three options here. In, in answering this question, where does true freedom come from? Okay, option number one is letter A, because multiple choice A, B, C, D, E. In this case, just A, B, C, okay, because there's three. Option number one, freedom comes from no rules. Okay, I do what I like, when I like, how I like. I wonder where that one came from. You know, does that, surely that, that just feeds the enemy's agenda to try to get you to rebel against God? Well, I'll give you a clue. It's not A. Okay, you, you guys are sharp. You knew that already. Okay, number, number B, letter B. These are letter, not number cots. Come on. Uh, option number two is lots of rules. Okay, the idea that kind of routine gives me shape and order and familiarity. This, I think, stems from human nature, which has another word, we call it flesh. And that loves comfort. Human nature loves ease, and it loves ticking boxes. Boy, do we love ticking boxes. That's option B. Finally, option C. Where does true freedom come from? It's probably on the screen anyway, isn't it? Your punchline's been delivered five minutes ago. Does true freedom come from submitting to Christ? and obeying his word. And of course, the irony is, is that true freedom is found in submission. Kind of counterintuitive, but it's oh so true. You know, the world is trying to convince you, this is an important sentence, the world is trying to convince you that submitting to anything or submitting to anybody leads to bondage. I wonder where that came from. But again, that all depends upon what or to whom you are surrendering. The point is that, that all the threats that Paul lists here are attempting to draw you away from Christ and into rules and into deceiving philosophies and into religion, into self-help. Do you know what? There is no freedom to be found there. Galatians 5.1 again, it is freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again. Don't allow yourself to get sucked and seduced and conned and tricked back under this yoke, this burden of slavery and captivity. Key that we understand that life and freedom and victory and purpose that the very things that you seek come from following Christ, from submitting to Christ, from obeying his word, and not from man-made rules. Okay, we're doing well. We're nearly there. 
That's the theory. I'm now going to apply all of this for you. The last rule set. So last week, Tree preached a, a powerful message called Choosing the Even So. If you've not listened to that, I thoroughly encourage you to do exactly that. And the point she made, she'll throw something at me if I'm, I'm wrong. The point she made is, is that lament is important. Lament may well be necessary, but it is not the end. And that in the middle of, of, middle of your circumstance, in the, in the middle of the, the storm, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of the angst, as she read from Habakkuk 3.18, even so, I will rejoice in the Lord. The Amplified said, yet I will choose to rejoice in the Lord. I will choose to shout in exultation in the victorious God of my salvation. And so last week, if you were there, having said all that, we, we recalled the worship team and we spent the rest of our service singing our praises. Now, I want to ask you a question now. I want to encourage yourself to be really honest with yourself. When we, the band came back up, the mesh was gone and Tree said, we're going to praise the Lord. And Barry behind the guitar said, everyone, we're going to praise the Lord. How did that make you feel? How did that praise session make you feel? Did you dive straight in? Or if you're honest, were you a little reluctant? A little hesitant? A little held back? You know, as we sung those praises, was that easy for you? Was that kind of natural and spontaneous? Or actually, it was a little bit hard. But when the worship leader invites you to fall to your knees, what debates go on inside of your head? When it's response time and Jamie says, who wants more of the Lord? What happens next? And that, that praise time late last week, it kind of got me thinking and I kind of looked around and I kind of got the sense of where I thought people were and what was going on. And so in the light of the message that the tree just preached about, about choosing the even so, in the light of this passage I knew I was about to preach about freedom in Christ. The point is we're supposed to be free. We're supposed to be free. But the reality is not everybody is as free as they'd like in reality. You know, we all still have ties that bind us. We all still have wounds that we protect. We all have parts of our soul that, that as yet are not fully surrendered. I want to spend the last few minutes just addressing that. The question then is, is what for us as 21st century Christians are the things that keep us from experiencing freedom in Christ? And then more personally, what is it for you? Now, this in itself is a multiple-week uh, teaching series, or even, dare I say, a video course called Freedom in Christ. But I'm going to propose for you, at the start, five reasons, five possible reasons why you may not be experiencing the freedom in Christ that you really wish you were. The first one is this. The first one is that your faith, or your Christianity, or your relationship with God 
is mostly intellectual rather than spiritual or experiential or relational. In other words, your Christian walk is theory rather than practice. It's based on, on head knowledge rather than heart change. If that is the case for you, you will not experience the kind of degrees of freedom that we're promised in Scripture. And when that praise times come, if it's just intellectual for you, you're going to kind of look around the room and go, not sure this is for me. However it's spiritual, if however it's experiential, if however it's relational, if that praise time is all about your relationship with him, it's going to be very different. That's number one. There's a bit of overlap between these. Number two is that, is that your worship or our worship has become repetitious or religious to the point where we're really just going through the motions. You know, you can stand there, you can sing the song because you know it. There might be a slightly glazed look on your eyes, but you know when to put your hands up. You know when to sing quiet, when to sing loud. You know all that kind of stuff. But you're, frankly, you're just going through the motions. You know, the song words are coming out of your mouth, but they're not touching your heart. They're not strengthening your faith. And they're not feeding your soul as they could and should. Number three is that our faith, your faith has become rules-based rather than relational. You know, you've, you've convinced yourself that, 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 that we, earn, we earn the Father's love, we earn the Father's favor by doing what our traditions have taught us or what our, our interpretation of the Bible tell us are the right things to do. We love the rules, we love the rituals, we love getting it right. Jesus said, very simply, he said, come to me. Not here's a hundred hoops. He said, if you're beaten up, if you're exhausted, if you've got nothing left, if you're a mess, come to me. Come to me. And he said that multiple times. Number four, you know, one of the things that, that kind of shield us or, or the reasons we don't step into this true freedom in Christ, number four is we use our natural personality as an excuse to hide. How did you feel when that praise set started? Did you use your natural personality as an excuse to hide? You know what, I'm an introvert too. I, I get that. But the danger is that, 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 that your woundedness or, or your insecurity or, or some kind of fear makes you makes you retreat, and it makes you either, either tortoise or hedgehog. If you think about the difference between those two, it's, that's more about what happens to everyone else. The danger is we use our, our natural personality as something to hide behind, and so we retreat, and we don't step into the freedom that Christ has for us. And the number five, because I'm a good student, and I was listening to a tree last week, reason number five is you're stuck in lament. And if you were stuck in lament, I suspect you found that praise tongue quite hard last week. You know, for, what, for whatever reason, you are not willing or able to step into the even so. And the fact is, if, if you will give the enemy undue influence, he is able to teach you to, he's able to twist mourning into self-pity. 
There's nothing wrong with mourning. But it mustn't become self-pity. He's able to twist grief. There's nothing wrong with grief. He's able to twist grief into depression. And a wound, we all get wounds, but the danger is that becomes a lingering hurt. He's able to twist an offense into resentment. I mean, if you never get offended, you're probably not listening. There's plenty of offense out there, but what are you going to do with it? And finally, the enemy is able to twist rejection into isolation. And if any of that is the case, rather than being a healthy spiritual process, lament can turn into a prison cell. And I've seen this over and over. But it's about being free in the depths of your soul. Bound up by guilt and fear. Not bound up by bitterness and frustration or by doubt and apprehension. But free to breathe. Free to praise. Free to smile. You know, there's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not smile in church. We sung it last week. We sang, I'm free to live. I'm free to give. I'm free to be. I'm free to love your Lord. That's the freedom that Christ purchased for you. Okay, so those are the five things that keep us from freedom. The question is that how do you become free? And actually, there's some great answers to this in Colossians chapter 3, but we'll, we'll get there in time. Five, just five quick ideas, and I promise they'll be quick. Number one, recognize that whatever the question, your relationship with Jesus is the answer. John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father anyway except through me. So stop looking in all the wrong places for your freedom. Those worldly rules just will not take you there. I put it like this. Stop, stop trying to break down the prison walls. It's hard work with your better hands. Stop trying to break down the prison walls when Jesus has already opened the door wide for you. Number one, number two, is stand on who he is and praise your way to freedom. Psalm 8, verse 2, through the praise of children and infants, you have, in, infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. I mentioned my brother earlier. He tells a story that someone once looked him in the eye and said, John, you can't sing your way out of this one. To which he replied, just watch me. Number three, if you can get the word in, you can break your soul out. John 8, verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Stop buying into the enemy's lies. Christ has set you free. Number four, nearly there. Stop giving the enemy the authority over you that he no longer has. Verse 15, Colossians 2 in the message. He stripped, as Jesus stripped all the spiritual, all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Hallelujah. You know, those chains that are holding you back aren't really there. I like to think of them as being kind of holographic chains. They look real, 
They look genuine, but there's no substance to them. You know, because the enemy's authority is sham. True authority has been de delegated to you, to us, by Christ. We just have to use it. Number five. Number five. Route to freedom. Choose to follow the one who is leading you into the promised land. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you will learn to listen to and cooperate with the Holy Spirit, there will be no limits to your freedom. Okay, how do we respond to this? I'm going to try and articulate what's in my head and see if it comes out. I gave you five threats to freedom. Okay, we started with four threats that they were dealing with in first century Colossae. I've just given you five threats to your freedom, and I label them A to E. I then gave you five steps to freedom, five steps to breakthrough, and I label them one to five. What I'd like you to do, and those people who made notes are at an advantage here, is I'd like you to pick the two that best define you, one from each list. And it may well be that you're a D2 or an A5 or a C1 or whatever it is. And, and, and then what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take that and I'd like you to take that to the Lord. And I think there are three possible responses to this. And if you didn't write them down, if you go on the website, you go to the Word tab and you go to Connect Group Discussion tab, you'll find all the answers there filled in for you. There's three possible responses. Number one, take it to the Lord this morning. What are the things that are holding me back? And how do I match that up with the key, the step that I feel that the Holy Spirit is, is jumping all over me about that's going to set me free? So option number one is to take that to the Lord. Option number two is to come to the front and find one of the prayer ministry team who will be up here standing across the front and they will pray through this with you this morning. You know, my prayer always is that when you walk through those doors at the end, you're feeling a, just a little bit taller, a little bit lighter, a little bit freer because you've had an encounter with truth. So number two is come to the front, seek out one of the ministry team, and they will pray with you, pray for you, pray breakthrough into that. And then the third one is, is to encourage you to take, take it to your connect group this week. You know, if you look at the connect group discussions, all laid out in there. But, you know, if you're an A3, just take that and say, look, what do I do about this? You know, maybe you can talk through why A is a problem for you. Maybe you can talk through why you struggle to, to step into number three, which is your key to freedom. Talk through that kind of thing with someone and then allow them to pray over you and pray into that. And I guarantee that if you would do that in your connect group of six, eight, it will be incredibly Okay, amen. That's, that's the plan. So, sorry, I've been a little bit longer than I intended. I got a bit excited this morning. You'll forgive me for that, won't you? Thank you. Why don't you stand? I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I'm going to just pray, um, and then we're going to uh, just respond this morning. Father, I want to thank you so much that you're a God of freedom. We want to thank you, Lord, for what you accomplished on that cross, for the work that you did, for the victory and the breakthrough that you obtained. We want to thank you that that grave could not hold you back and you burst out victorious. 
resurrected, risen from death. Because of that, we can have freedom. And Lord, we read passages like this. This is real stuff. He's not, not messing around here. He's being honest and saying that there's always going to be threats to your freedom because there's an enemy out there who does not want you free. And yet, Lord, you've given us in Scripture practical ways we can invite you in. We can surrender afresh to you. And you can open the door to us into freedom. Maybe a door that's felt like it's been locked and bolted and padlocked closed for years. So, Lord, my prayer very simply this morning is, Jesus, would you set your people free? Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come and do what you do. You are the mountain mover. You are the chain breaker. You are the wound healer. You are the truth giver. So Holy Spirit, would you just come minister to us this morning?